Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week, we'll be discussing a new topic or trend, so you can stay informed the easy way. Serena, what are we talking about this week? This week, we are talking about the Barbie movie. If you, I mean, exist in the world, although I'm not sure how it is in other countries, but at least in Germany, and it seems most Western countries, Barbie has taken over. I can't open my social media apps without seeing Barbie everywhere. I see posters for it, like you walk down the street. Barbie has essentially taken over the world right now. Madvi and I went to go see the Barbie movie. I think we're also going to maybe do some spoilers in this episode. So if you haven't seen it already, then maybe save this episode for later. I have a lot of thoughts. One of the very, 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 very first thing that I noticed was that the audience was exclusively women. So there were a couple of men in the audience. I watched it in Munich and it was legitimately almost women. How was it in Berlin? In Berlin, I think there was maybe a couple of men, but they had gone with their female counterpart. But yeah, Barbie is really gendered, right? It's really gendered and it's a thing in all women's lives, I guess. Did you have a Barbie? I do remember really distinctly being in a store once and really badly wanting a Barbie and my mom said I had to buy it myself. And I remember going half seas with my sisters on the Barbie because we got like, I don't know, 50 cents pocket money every second Friday or something like this. And the Barbie was like $8. This is my only memory of Barbie. So I think I must have had them. But I don't remember playing with them. The, like, doll of my childhood was the American Girl dolls. I had Josephina. But I actually don't remember playing with Barbies, which surely I must. Did you? Yes, I had a Barbie. I also had a Cindy, which was a thing. I don't know if you had that in the US. The American Girl dolls are not a thing in England, but also at that time. And there seems to be a lot of doll stuff coming out. There's a Bratz movie, I think, coming out too and stuff. And Bratz wasn't a thing. And then we had rag dolls or something, which were really ugly dolls that came out. But I really liked Barbie playing with her hair and doing stuff like that. I think I played with it. And then I remember there was another doll that was advertised on TV with this amazing like house, which kind of reminded me of the Barbie house. It was a penny doll or something, and it, she came in this big house, and I asked for it for Christmas. It was the only time that I ever asked for one of these dollhouse things or whatever, because I just saw it on an advert, and I really wanted it. And I remember getting it and unpackaging it, and it was just this small plastic piece of shit, and it was so boring to me. I was like, what are you going to do? You're just going to move this doll around, like make it pretend to do stuff. And that I was totally not into. But it's kind of interesting, right? Because one of the questions of why a doll that was basically made in 1959, still like one of the biggest cultural phenomenons and just so important, especially for women today. And I guess there's like, there are two aspects to Barbie. So, and toys in general, because there are like two kinds of toys. One is, I guess, sandbox toys, you know, like blocks and things that you can just use your imagination and play with and be yourself and expand yourself with. It's just like pure play in a way. And then the other toys, which are like 
Barbie doll houses and, you know, those little shopping carts and you go shopping or those cooking sets and stuff that kids have. Those are kind of training kids to mimic and play roles in society. So they're more sort of from the outside in, training them into certain roles and training them how to be adults. And I think what I didn't like about the dollhouse and also a lot about the Barbie stuff in general is that it promotes one kind of lifestyle and consumerism and this perfection and this like, you know, that is the idealized life. You have to, within that set of rules, you have to fit yourself in. Whereas if you just got a Barbie by itself, like any doll just by itself, you can then project yourself onto it. You can play with it in different ways. You can like cut its hair. You can do crazy things. Of course, everything, especially with dolls, is influenced also by culture. It's not just like building blocks or plasticine or colors, art stuff, but it's a bit more of a purer form of play. I was that child. I cut my doll's hair. More specifically, I gave my American Girl doll a haircut. Those are really expensive dolls as well, the American dolls, weren't they? Oh, yeah. You bet my mom was mad. What is, to me, incredibly fascinating about Barbie is they said this in the movie again and in the marketing for the movie. Like, you've heard Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig repeat this line. Greta Gerwig is the writer of the movie. I actually really like Greta Gerwig. She's in one of my favorite movies, which is called Maggie's Plan. She plays the main character, Maggie. It's a Rebecca Miller film, who is the daughter of Arthur Miller. And also an amazing filmmaker and playwright in her own right, obviously. But they keep repeating this line of like, Barbie was an astronaut before women could have jobs. She is a role model. She is all of these things. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I guess Barbie was an astronaut or a doctor before women were allowed to be astronauts or doctors or whatever. But at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, but Barbie is still this idealized version of what a woman should be, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, Barbie can do anything, but at the same time, she has to be have a teeny-weeny waist, and she has to have blonde hair, and she always has to look perfect. I feel like it's pushing women further into a corner, because it's saying, like, not only do you have to do everything now, you also have to look perfect all of the time. You're being further conditioned socially to be like, and remember, nothing can ever appear hard for you, because now... You have to do it all. You have to do everything. And you can't not have perfect skin, perfectly curled hair. And you're like, this isn't progress. This is further loading stuff onto women. This is exactly the point that the film makes, right? Did you think? She says it. America Ferreira, she says, actually, your dialogue. The casting is great in this movie, and it's made by really smart people. Greta Gerwig, Noah Baumbach, it's got Helen Mirren in it, Billie Eilish has done the song, like, it's really full of talent. But America Ferreira actually makes exactly the same dialogue that you've just made in the movie several times that's the entire core and the entire dialogue that the movie explicitly revolves do you think it achieved its mission well what is its mission is the question honestly to me personally i think that this barbie movie is a move from mattel to brand barbie as a true feminist because i think that they realized that barbie was losing relevance because i think in the early 2000s the sales of barbie were at an all-time low right So they realize that with the new trends, they need to diversify Barbie, right? This is when they came in with 
Barbie dolls that have disabilities. You know, they really tried to change it up. You know, they made plus size Barbies in quotation marks, which like, that's a whole different conversation. So I personally think this was a marketing move because I think that Mattel, they're smart, right? They realize all of these things. So they included it in the movie. I mean, they got one of the current most well-known feminist directors and writers to write this movie, right? Greta Gerwig just, I can't remember if she won an Oscar. She was just nominated for an Oscar for her version of Little Women. So I went in there fully prepared to hate this movie because of marketing. I was like, obviously, this is all marketing. Barbie is a feminist movie. How is this going to work? Also, it's a Hollywood movie. So... Hollywood plus Barbie plus Mattel has signed off on it. And also Mattel is a company that is characterized by its incredible marketing. We can go into the history of Mattel in a minute just to like see how this fits into its timeline. But then I went in there and I sat down and I was fully prepared to hate on it. And right at the beginning, there's a problematic bit. And then Helen Mirren, who is the voiceover undercuts it and says exactly what I was thinking and that happened several times so you can tell actually that's made by really smart people and every time you have something they put a hat on it they just say it and about 10 minutes in I just relaxed into it and really really had a lot of fun and really enjoyed it because it's just so pink and camp and funny the jokes are brilliant there's an NSYNC joke in there that I was just laughing at I won't say it now but there is so much creative fun with it but yes of course Mattel has had to over the years from the 50s reinvent themselves and I think now like you said this is the next step of the Barbie story. The opening of the movie was a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey which was so cleverly done. So she recreates the scene just with Barbie dolls. In the original, it's apes. It's the creation of the world with apes and then the thing lands on the earth and they look up. It's like a one-to-one recreation just with girls and dolls. It's so well done. Yeah, and I think to go to the opening, she starts and she just says, as long as there have been little girls, dolls have existed. But these dolls were all babies, dolls that represent babies, teaching girls how to mother. Until Barbie came along, Barbie is the first aspirational doll. She represents a woman. So Helen Mirren says, you know, then Barbie came along who taught little girls that they could be anything they wanted to be. And already I was like, oh my God, here we go. Problem, problem, problem. And then Helen Mirren just undercuts everything by saying, well, that's what they believe in Barbie land anyhow. Why Barbie is so powerful is like, yeah, it's true that in terms of dolls that are produced in our current society you know since the industrial revolution first dolls were all basically babies and barbie was the first doll that was different in this way actually dolls have existed before in certain religions and things like that the first dolls i think were found in ancient egypt and then there are dolls that were used like in certain religions from africa and they used to be dolls on altars that represented certain things I would say like in Barbie's case like maybe it's the perfect image of the feminine it's not a real woman it's an idea or a dream or something of a woman and it's projected it's a kind of like energy in a way and so I think that's also goes to the power of Barbie beyond you know the Barbie story but I did actually want to go into the Barbie story and the history of Mattel Have you seen the Amish, the dolls of the Amish? They don't put faces on their dolls. It's very creepy. But dolls are a bit creepy anyway, right? 
Dolls are super creepy. As an adult now, I'm like, dolls are really scary. They're partly scary because it's the uncanny valley. So the uncanny valley is basically if something is kind of human-like but kind of a bit off, it just makes your brain go, oh, that's weird. But then also I think they can be quite powerful objects as well that you can project a lot onto. And there's also a lot of idolatry, like Barbie's also like an idol, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I did want to just go into the actual history of Barbie because the film didn't go into all of that, of course. There were some references to Ruth Handler who invented Barbie and Mattel. But yeah, I can go through a short history of her and... Mattel. So a lot of this is taken from is a summary of a podcast. It's called LA Made, it's NPR, and then also the cultural critic who wrote the book Forever Barbie, the unauthorized biography of a real doll, uh, MG mm-hmm. Lord. This is based on a lot of her tapes as well that she made while researching her book. So Ruth Handler, who started Mattel and created Barbie was the daughter of Polish Jewish immigrants and the youngest of 10 children. And she fell in love with Elliot, who was a husband, when they were basically 16 and they moved to LA and they were together ever since. They were both working. She was working as a secretary in Paramount and they started experimenting with plastics. And their daughter, Barbara, which is who Barbie was named after, although fun fact, they used to call her Babs for short, and it would have been Babs, but then a patent lawyer said, no, go for something else. So then they went for Barbie instead of Babs as the name for Barbie. So their daughter, Barbara, was born in 1941. And then also their son, that's what he's called. Ken, really creepy. It is creepy because they're supposed to be a couple, right? I get, I like, I get it in the sense of like, they're trying to, you know, ah, we're naming a doll after our daughter, we're naming a doll after our son, but they're a couple. It's a bit weird. It's a bit creepy. It is a bit creepy. Anyway, Ken was born in 1944 when Elliot was drafted for the army in the Second World War. Ruth was basically staying at home from 1941 to 1944 because of childcare. She was, you know, but she took up more work during this time. She was raising the kids and stuff, but she also dreamed up a company with Harold Madsen who she started Mattel with, because her husband was actually drafted in the army at this at this point. Their first products included a xylophone and a plastic ukulele. And in 1955, Mattel adopted a really new and different marketing strategy. The company risked its entire network to buy advertising on the Mickey Mouse Club program. So it was the first mm-hmm. company to make such a huge investment in direct advertising on TV two children and this was pre-barbie uh they were selling their one of their first products was actually a gun like a realistic looking gun aimed at boys around this time ruth noticed something about the way her daughter played with dolls like paper dolls and she noticed that her daughter always went for these like teenage type or adult types of these like paper dolls and used the doll as a prop through which she was like projecting herself into the dream of her future And so that's where the big difference and the big innovation of Barbie is, that this was an aspirational doll. She saw something that nobody else, you know, all the other companies were making like babies so girls could put themselves into the role of being mother in the future. So she had this insight. But then in 1956, she went to Lausanne and she saw these dolls in these nice costumes. And these were actually Lily dolls. And Lily dolls were what inspired Barbie. But what's mad is that Lily was a comic character 
in the Bild Zeitung, which if you live in Germany, it's like complete trash newspaper, just to give you a taste. One of the comic cartoons shows Lily completely naked in the apartment of a friend and she's holding up this tabloid to cover her bits and the caption reads oh we had a fight and he took back all of his gifts so this is a woman who after the war in Germany you know the war in Germany was not nice to to German women who uses who's kind of like one of these women who uses all these sexual encounters with men and you know gets by making her money like this and living living her life like this yeah she's known as Bild Lily yeah like named after the Bild Zeitung yeah and it was mostly it was not for kids it was bought by men mostly for other men as a kind of like 3D pinup and the doll was really advertised with provocative ads it was a sexually mm. provocative doll for men so we somehow this transference went from german men germany is the home of porn as well like it's a home of porn hub and everything it's mad but yeah so we went from like german porn territory into it got transferred to the lives of little girls in California, which is to me wild, but I can see it. And then Jack Ryan helped design the first doll. He was a, a notorious playboy, but he kind of like classed up the doll because he was like, look, Ruth, you can't just have this doll that is really sexually provocative. So he did some things like he got rid of her pouty lips, he changed her neck, her shoulder, her hairline, her skull, her hair, her eyes, a bunch of stuff just to like get rid of her overt sexuality. Um, and then the first models, because he went to Japan to try and like get them made, and the first models all came back with like nipples. So he used to use his little Swiss filing tool that was supposed to be for Swiss watches to like file off all the nipples until they got the, the point that the dolls are not supposed to have nipples. And the first costumes were designed by Charlotte Johnson, who was autonomous in her 40s, a really interesting and independent and talented woman who was making her own living. So like she was really unique for that time. So she also projected her vision onto Barbie, which was this sort of like, you know, independent, fashionable or fashion, working in the fashion industry type, type doll. And then for marketing, they went to and this is where Mattel kind of stands out they went to Ernst Dichter who was a psychoanalyst from Vienna uh, in Manhattan and this is where like advertising basically came from psychoanalysis and Freud and they tested the product and what they found was all the girls like loved this product but all the mothers hated it because they were like this is just basically a it's a sex object and it's overtly sexual and I don't want my kids to play with that so then he had this brilliant idea because he realized that the mothers were all trying to do something with their female children which is that they had to all these daughters had to at some point marry a man attract a man marry a man because that was how they were gonna get by in life that was their role so his main marketing line was look your little girl is like this wild, maybe tomboyish, totally unwoman woman. How do you, how do we get her to attract her husband? Mm -hmm. How do we get her into a womanly state? You know, we use this doll to do that. And that's how it took off with these adverts. And these adverts had like Barbie at the end uh, of some adverts with like in a wedding dress. But then <laughs> the problem was there was actually no one for her to marry. 
which is why they had to make a boyfriend doll. So Ken came along specifically for this uh, because people were demanding it, the mothers were demanding it, the girls were demanding it because this is how it had been advertised. And Ruth Handler really, really didn't want a boyfriend. She was like, no boyfriend, no husband, no kids. She wanted a woman, you know, who was just like living her best life kind of thing, which is also interesting, I think, about Ruth Handler and how she's projected some, you know, part of her that's not realized into a doll. Wanted to say something a while ago about Bird Lily, because I think one of the things that's super important to note about her is that she was revolutionary, regardless of her purpose, because she was not all one doll. Like her head was separate, the hair was separate, and her legs didn't open like this when she sits. So really, like it was a new revolutionary doll. And Mattel copied this model. new technology. Yeah, yeah. And there isn't, when you think about it, the purpose of both things, like both are women, Barbie and Lily, who are making their way in the world by getting paid somehow by men and serving men. I think regardless of who your target audience is, it is still indirectly or even directly conditioning women because either the woman sees her boyfriend, her husband with a doll and thinks, oh, okay, this is what men want women to look like. Or it's a girl who gets a little Barbie doll as a kid and thinks, oh, this is what women should look like. Both are still contributing to pushing us into a mold of what we think women should look like and be like and act like and look like. Yeah, both are pushing us into a mould that serves the patriarchy. Absolutely, yeah. So, basically, at this time, (laughs) a woman without a man is a failure, of course, so Ruth Handler had to give in, and Ken was created in 1961. And I think it's kind of interesting, because in the film... They did such a good job of capturing that, I think. The fact that Ken was essentially unwanted, you know? Because it's even implied, like, you know when they're arrested, when they first get to the real world? Uh Her thing says Barbie, and his says and Ken. The implication being his name is and Ken. But it reminded me of Adam and Eve, isn't it? Adam was around, and he's like, oh, I need someone to play with. And, you know, Eve was taken from the rib and in this mythology, and that's used to sort of deny women their own identity and I think Ken is the feminine aspect in Barbie land right where he doesn't exist if there's no Barbie yeah it's interesting okay so Ken's first outfit was beachwear uh, and then they gave him like over the years really outrageous phallic props really yeah they gave him a really big baseball bat with his baseball outfit or in 1964 they gave him like a really long fork for a barbecue that was skewering a pink wiener. And on his apron, it said, come and get it. But he didn't have any, he didn't have a phallus, right? So he had all of these phallic props. I don't know. I find the whole sexuality thing so interesting. Hmm. And then they wanted, of course, then um, the market demanded, well, they have to have a baby. It's a bit like life, isn't it? You know, it's like, first of all, she needs a boyfriend, then she needs a husband. Then it's like, when is your child coming? When is your second child? And Ruth was like, no, she cannot have a little bit. She was really strong on this. So then instead, they gave her Skipper, the younger sister. sister. Yeah. Mm Because she was really strong, Ruth Handler, on what she wanted. She didn't actually want the boyfriend. She also didn't want the child. And the other thing is that, Barbie could not do any housework. So she wanted this like drudgery free womanhood, maybe because like Ruth Handler grew up poor. And then at 19, she was working at Paramount. And then she did have two kids. So Charlotte Johnson, who was designing all of the costumes in one of the tapes talks about like, you know, this 
company came in with a little vacuum cleaner for Barbie and they were going to give it to them for free. And she said, like, it looked really good. And it would have been a good idea, but Ruth Handler was like, no, Barbie doesn't do housework. So she was, in a way, challenging the popular notion of a woman's place in society, because it was a bit different. And then came along the 60s, and they changed her a bit, according to the times. I guess they tried to change Barbie's feet to, like, flat, because the hippies wanted, like, no shoes and stuff, but that didn't really work. And then she got some, like, black friends, Francie and Casey, not black Barbie, but just friends. And then they got some additional careers most of them very feminine coded like flight attendant nurse ballerina and then the astronaut like you said came along but it was wearing all pink and stuff which is cool but also fun fact you can't wear makeup if you are gonna be an astronaut because makeup is made of like petroleum and stuff so like your face will burn off if there's a fire amazing yeah so that was unrealistic of course i'm just like suits me fine i don't wear makeup not that i'm going to space yeah but Good to know. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, I don't know, there was some real problematic things, but they didn't really, even though the women's movement was growing, they didn't really change Barbie too much because they still did loads and loads and loads of market testing. And basically, most of the women and the girls that they were testing on were not aligned with the women's movement. So, like, some things that they had Barbie, you know, in the 60s and 70s, she came with a scale that was like permanently set to, I don't know, 100 pounds or something. And then she had, there was a little book called How to Lose Weight. And inside it just had like one thing said, don't eat. <laughs> Shocking. And yeah, in 1971, the National Association for Women made a complaint about stereotyping women and Mattel making, letting boys like be seen in their ads as playing with educational toys while girls were just playing with dolls. And then there were feminist protests at the toy fairs saying that, like, you know, Barbie was promoting women as, you know, either mannequins or sex objects or housewives. And, yeah, like, they just didn't change it because that was not their market, although they did have their first dip in uh, profits. But that was because the company sort of diversified and they spent a lot of money. And this is when Ruth ran into like some financial difficulties, actually. She was advised to like take, because they were losing profit, you know, take some of the profit from the next quarter into this quarter. And then it went on and she got basically done for fraud and indicted on 10 counts of conspiracy fraud and all of that kind of stuff. And she pleaded no context, which means, uh, yeah, she messed up. And then she she was out of the company. Barbie did really well in the 80s, mm. which is telling because the 80s was, you know, greed is good. Like half of the workforce then became women. So you had many more careers. You also had the first black Barbie and Hispanic Barbie. They were progressing or they were showing progressions in society as well. And in 2016, they again expanded their variety of body shapes, although, you know, like you said, it's not very expansive. And in 2020, they expanded the skin textures and also included different able bodies. And yeah, and Ruth Handler, she tried to retire, but then she founded another company called, I think, Nearly Me, for women like her who had had a mastectomy so that, you know, you could reconstruct her breasts and stuff. And she did really well with that. Uh, she's a really smart woman. And she died in 2002. And Barbie, which is her idea, lives on and is still exploding today in 2023. Wow. 
Quite the history Barbie has, huh? Well, it's long, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really seems to me like Barbie, when she was founded by the woman that she was started of, was a woman trying to be ambitious for what women could do within the constraints of her time. So at the time when Ruth started Barbie, this is what women were expected to look like. So that is what Barbie looked like. So I imagine that the big criticism is just that like she's outdated, that she didn't evolve with the time. But at the same time, on the other hand, Mattel is like, a massive company making millions of profits every year. Whenever you sort of have a company that's trying to sell you empowerment in a way, I always get very critical because I always wonder, regardless of what the beginnings of the company were, what is the company now and what is their motivation for selling empowerment back to women? Because I thoroughly enjoyed the Barmy movie. I laughed a lot. Very funny. Greta Gerwig is amazing. Margot Robbie did a very good job. I really, really like Hari Neff. So when I saw her on screen, I went a little bit. Like, you know, the array of women that they had playing Barbies was great. But in the back of my head, I can't help but feel like this is Mattel trying to sell empowerment back to us. And they're not stupid. Like, they were not nice to themselves in the movie, right? They represented Mattel as terrible. They signed off on it, though. They aren't idiots. They know the way the world works. They know what the current trend is, how people are thinking. So to me, this entire movie is a brilliant marketing ploy. Everything about it is so smart. Hiring a feminist writer and director, getting all these, you know, super, like Lizzo sang some of the music, you know, they're smart. They got trans women in the movie. They have women of color in the movie. They got a very diverse set of women in the film. They are packaging empowerment back and giving it to us. But on the other hand, what I do have to say is, as a child of the 90s, my first taste of what would become feminism for me personally was the Spice Girls with girl power, right? You know, obviously the Spice Girls are exactly like Barbie. They exist within the same universe, right? It's like packaged capitalism sold to little girls. But it is also sort of what got me into feminism. So it was still a gateway in a way. So it kind of served its purpose. Like feminism was sold to me as a young girl, but I also actually bought into it. So I can't be really mad at things like the Spice Girls or maybe even the Barbie movie because maybe there's going to be, you know, some little girl who's, well, I don't really know if a 10-year-old is going to be watching this movie, but let's say my 15-year-old niece is watching this movie and maybe this will make her start thinking about feminism. So I I end up in this weird place. I mean, I agree it's marketing and literally it's marketing because Barbie has had, I think it's one of the films that has had the most brand collabs ever. I think Instyle did like a list of them. It is expansive. Some of those companies, you know, for example, are Primark, are Boohoo, are Burger King. And for me, feminism... Well, there are many different layers of feminism. Like you said, there are many different layers and entry points and and ways. But for me personally, it cannot be separated from environmentalism and things like this. The Barbie is a plastic in the end. And plastic is uh, oil and gas. That's just it. And this is going to sell a lot more shit. This movie by itself is rampant consumerism. But it's still critiquing capitalism in the film, right? Which is interesting because then that almost outsources, like it gives you permission to be a feminist 
that still participates in a damaging way in capitalism and consumerism. And I think that was my problem with the film and the beauty of the film. And it's it's so nice that they, you know, they, they name the dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is the center of it. And it's still cognitive dissonance is the center of the existence of the thing. So it's so, so self-referential in a way. And it's so postmodern in a way. But postmodernism is pastiche and cynicism and it's an explosion of stuff. But like, hey, what about the real impact and the real suffering that's going to be caused by this and for me that's not feminism so yeah I really enjoyed it but in my feminism I wouldn't call it feminism although it does give women in their psychology something maybe you know to like just acknowledge the cognitive dissonance of being woman and the hardness of being woman but I think it like I said, I think it's created by really smart people, so it's very hard to pick it apart because it's already named all the stuff that you can pick it apart on. And that's the beautiful, smart yes. thing about it. But for me, in the end, it's still not feminist. It's a big marketing no, ab- thing, for sure. Absolutely, I agree. I will, though, have to say what was kind of nice about going to see Barbie was, so usually when you go to the movie theater, yeah, it's like a very mixed audience. And this movie was very heavily marketed towards women and girls. It was kind of nice just to like see all these women. Everybody was kind of dressed up and you could tell everyone was like having a good time and they were like drinking cocktails, wearing pink outfits or not even pink. Just everybody was like really nicely had done their hair. Like, yes, they're buying into ideas of what women need to look like. But at the same time, everyone was so happy and just carefree in that moment in this movie theater. And it was almost all exclusively women. And there was just just like a nice feeling of camaraderie. The only other time I've ever experienced this is when I went to go see the third Bridget Jones movie with my roommate back when I was living in London. And I remember just looking around the like entire audience and it was just women. Like there was not a single man in this audience, just an entire movie theater full of women and I do kind of think that's kind of nice completely apart from the movie because I do think that being quote-unquote feminine being feminine being girly it's part of this trap that you exist as a woman right like being a woman being a girl in our society is a trap because you need to buy into the stereotype but you also are punished for being the stereotype, which is like incredibly frustrating as a woman. So just to see a bunch of women just kind of unapologetically being girly and liking pink, because liking pink is very demonized in our society. I love it pink. Is. Love pink? Yeah, I like yeah. pink. And I, and I like the aesthetics of the movie and that I, I like that kind of, the campness also. Oh my God. Uh, and the queerness and all of that kind of stuff as well, which is why like, and I think we do need those stories as women just to like agree like to have a yeah. story that is woman-centered and it's like, yeah, it's kind of like Saki being a woman and these are the issues at hand. That's empowering. That's that's good. It's good that like it's good that Hollywood gave $145 million to a female filmmaker to carry out this vision. That's cool. Yeah. To be in a sea of women all having a good time. You could like the the excitement was very palpable in the air. I don't know how it was in Berlin, but in Munich, like everybody was so because the movie premiered on Thursday. And everyone came clearly after work, you know, it was all adults. And so there was just this like excitement and energy and just women being free to be feminine without feeling judged for it. And that was nice. So three things to be a better person this week. Number one, 
please don't buy into any of the plastic and the damage to the environment stuff that is associated with the marketing of the Barbie movie. The marketing, I have to admit, is genius, but please don't buy the stuff. Thing two, as a woman, if you want to wear pink and you want to put on makeup and you want to wear heels, as long as that is a decision that you are making for yourself and you are happy with and you are not doing it to buy into some, you know, patriarchal idea of what women should look like, then go for it. Own your femininity. And number three, if you have kids, it's actually much more useful to get them toys that they can just be inventive with instead of toys that give them ideas about what success or what their life should look like. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as €4 euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.